Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. I'm here with John Mark, uh, my oldest son. He's the um, operating officer here at Coming Home Network International. We're here joining you in Deep in Scripture and we're joining you in, in Holy Week. And as John Mark and I were thinking about, well, what might we cover this week in Deep in Scripture? Uh, we thought, well, maybe it's it's neat to uh, reflect on Holy Week in its relation to Scripture and tradition, the history of the church. And one of the reasons for this is because of our work. Mm-hmm. Because the Coming Home Network, as many of you know, of course, exists to stand beside men and women who are awakening, maybe for the first time in their life, to the beauty and truth of the historic Catholic Church. And if you go to the Coming Home Network website, chnetwork.org, you'll find a community of men and women who are either on a journey or are converts or lifelong Catholics. And we're here to discuss all the differences that unfortunately separate us one from another. Our baptisms unite us. And our faith in Jesus Christ unites us. But then you get to the other stuff. And there's lots of issues that that divide Christians from one another. Some of them are uh, essentials. Some of the items are less essential. And the old saying from St. Augustine is that regardless, we're to do it all in charity. And sadly, when we look at the history of the church, going all the way back to the early days, we see lots of times when, when, when men were butting heads over how do you understand an issue, like the battle between homoousius and homoousius over, <laughs> over a jot or a tittle, if you will, and uh, they were beating each other's heads about that and anathematizing, you know, oh, that there had been some charity at times like that. But still, mm-hmm. the idea was there was a boundary. There is a boundary, and there's a reason for boundaries of truth. Mm-hmm. And I remember, in fact, you, John Mark, you and I quote C.S. Lewis almost more than any other Catholic author. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was C.S. Lewis that talked about, I'm not sure it was him, but he talked about when is a train most free. Mm-hmm. You know, a train is most free when it's on the tracks. Right. Right. And, you know, when is a fish most free? In the water or out of the water? Well, in the water. And so there's boundaries, but within those boundaries, there's great freedom. Yeah. But uh, when we when we break the boundaries, we push the envelope on boundaries is when we get in trouble. And so if you were to go to the Coming Home Network community, you would find there's all kinds of questions people are asking. Yeah. About all kinds of issues. Yeah. And one of the issues is feasts and festivals and seasons and days. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because around Easter. Uh, leading up to Easter is one of the most kind of important times for our community of the Coming Home Network because so many of our people, you know, they're in RCAA or they're otherwise preparing to enter full communion with the church. And so on the one hand, there's the essentials that they're embracing, you know, through their study and through their prayer, they've come to embrace, you know, being a member of the church, being part of the church. And this is where that's that's coming to a head as they receive their sacraments of, of uh, Eucharist and confirmation and baptism in some cases. On the other hand, they're also entering, you know, one of the most liturgically intense seasons of the church, you know, in terms of feasts and fasts and holy days and 
you know, big T traditions as well as small T traditions. And so, you know, navigating a lot of that um, with the right spirit, the right attitude, um, you know, uh, uh, is, is, you know, a lot of the sort of things we end up talking to people about. And so, yeah, I mean, we, we thought we'd reflect a little bit on that this week. And I guess, too, as a, another pre- preface to the discussion, you know, if to people out there listening, you know, if you're members of the, of the network, if we've been in contact, you know, this is a great time. We love to hear updates on on your journey, whether you are getting ready to enter the church and we haven't talked for a while, you know, um, you've been in RCA or, or perhaps this is sort of the anniversary that you've of you coming into the church. You know, we'd love to hear more of your story. And so, you know, if you haven't previously connected with us or if it's been a while, you know, please go to chnetwork.org and send us a contact form or send an email to one of our staff that you've talked with before. We'd love to hear for you and be praying for you as uh, as we go through this Easter season. Thanks, John Mark. This this issue of Holy Week and where did it come from and how did we start celebrating these days and why don't some Christians celebrate them and others kind of go, in some people's mind, way overboard? Because um, I know in my own spiritual journey, I was brought up Lutheran, and so mm-hmm. I had basically the same exact practices I now have as a Catholic. So I was a Lutheran in the late 50s and, and uh, 60s, and so I was a Lutheran during the time of the Vatican Council, Second Vatican Council. So I wasn't being affected by it, but it was influencing us. So mm-hmm. I remember those days. I remember Easter, and we did everything. We had Monday, Thursday, we called it, and, and yeah. uh, Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, Good Friday, we didn't do everything. We didn't have a veneration of the cross, but we had most everything else. We did have, for example, we didn't have veneration of the cross, but we had sunrise service on Easter, which we don't right. in the Catholic Church. And then later when I became a Presbyterian pastor and a congregational pastor originally for a little while, in fact, one congregational church, we celebrate Easter, but almost nothing else. Easter and Christmas. Mm. Uh. The, the, everything else uh, had very little significance. And when we think about the people that come to us from all these different traditions, there are people that come from traditions like the Anglican, Episcopal, Lutheran churches, Eastern Orthodox, <clears throat> that have almost identical mm-hmm. understanding of Holy Week, all the way to those on the other extreme that, to a certain extent, have no religious holidays. Right. And they might not even have musical instruments in their churches. Right. Um, very conservative. And the difference is, how do you deal with scripture and tradition mm-hmm. in the earliest days of the church? You know, and I think this is one of the the, the valuable things about being Catholic, and the, and the valuable things about having a community uh, like the Coming Home Network to discuss some of these things with. Is often if you're if you're embracing the church, you kind of see it from the outside, and you just see a whole pile of Catholic stuff. And of course, depending on where you stumble on the church, what part of the world, what what. Uh, you know, sector of small tree tradition you stumble into, you know, the, the, you can see everything as, 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 as an essential. But part of it, the process is recognizing that, you know, there's, we, we have a few th- different things going on here. We, we, we come to embrace the essential doctrines of the church. That's one piece of it. But then also in embracing the authority of the church, we accept um, the, the, the disciplinary obligations the church puts on us. So there's nothing necessarily um, there's no scriptural injunction that we that we fast on Ash Wednesday or that we fast on Good Friday. No, these are or, or even that we necessarily um, 
attend mass in the form that we do with specific obligations that the church gives us. But these are, are disciplines of the church, you know, and, and so it's they're essential, but they're a different sort of thing than like a doctrine. And then even beyond that, we have things that are not obligations, but that are, that are options, you know, certain devotions, like we were talking beforehand about the Stations of the Cross, a beautiful devotion, especially if you've got kids, you know, to go through the Stations of the Cross, reflecting scripturally on Christ's passion. But again, that's a small t tradition. That's not an, uh, an essential, it's not an obligation, but it's a really valuable thing. So, you know, approaching these things in the right order, in the right steps, and, you know, starting with the essentials, the obligations that, that uh, we receive from scripture, that we receive from the church, uh, but then proceeding to to see the rest of the treasury of the devotions of the church as ways to supplement uh, our experience and our um, our the discipline of returning to to Christ in a new way in Lent and in Easter. There's a couple things you see when you study the history of the church, and especially when you go beyond the, the little summaries of history in one yeah. book, or when you when you truly not only look at the multi-volume histories, but when you look at the primary sources. There's a couple things. Uh, you discover, and uh, and one of which is that we have to recognize that even though through the death and resurrection of Christ, our, we've been reconciled, but we have to claim and respond to that reconciliation. It's just an, an automatic and through baptism, we recognize, going back again, the history of theology, that very early in the church, particularly in Augustine, we recognize that through baptism, original sin is wiped clean. But that doesn't mean that there isn't this residual effect of concupiscence. There's still this constant battle that right. Paul particularly talks about in Romans 7. Now, the reason I bring this up is when you look at the history of the church, you see what happens on the one hand when people say, I don't want these traditions, I don't want all this stuff, I don't want these regulations, I don't need the church telling me these things. Mm -hmm. I just, all I need is me. When you look at the history of the church, you almost invariably, 99 out of 100 times, mm -hmm. the trajectory of that thinking is towards libertinism. Mm -hmm. It's towards less and less. And as much as it, it's right. a constant battle to try, Jesus says in Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, he doesn't say um, uh, if you give alms, he says when you give alms. He right. doesn't say if you pray, he says when you pray. He right. doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. So he's trying to say, right. guys, this is what you do. Yeah. But left to ourselves, we can come up with a bazillion excuses to put right. it off, which yeah. is why on the other extreme, he gave us a church and a community mm -hmm. and a tradition that helps us understand that there is a very valuable way mm -hmm. to model and rule our lives, if you want to take the word from St. Benedict, mm -hmm. you know, and I, mm -hmm. to structure our lives. Right. And that's why we trust the church. You know, I think maybe in the coming weeks or sometime soon, we, we were thinking about doing a study on James, and so we were discussing that earlier. And then again, that's a great example, such a short, powerful uh, epistle there, uh, where again, faith, you know, uh, talking about this interrelationship between faith and how that's played out in your life. You know, we come to know and believe in Christ, but then the task of the rest of our life is then to play out, to bit by bit, 
give our whole life over to Christ. You know, our money, our time, our finances, our relationships, all that's to be Christ. And so, you know, for some of those pieces, the church gives us some of these big solid starting points, like the feasts and fasts of the church, like the Sunday obligation, like the obligation to uh, uh, receive confession once a year. You know, the, we, the church actually doesn't obligate us in, in that sense to many things, but there's there's small pillars that give us initial structure to life. But then the church also carries on, you know, a tradition of, you know, a beautiful treasury of devotions and prayers and saints and writings that we can use. They're tools for us to bring into our life and to flesh out that faith in all the areas of our life. And so again, it's it's not something to to approach in scrupulosity or trying to do the bare minimum, but it's something to approach with joy that through the church, we have access to 2000 years of saints and hero, heroes and heroines of the church trying to figure out how to live this faith out. And we can learn from them and we can share that with one another. And I know it's, you know, John Mark, you're far more perfect than I am. So you probably never struggled with this, but the reality is that invariably every Catholic who has these rules, every Orthodox that has these rules, every Episcopalian has these rules, that the spiritual battle kicks in and says, man, I don't want to do this. You know, or Sunday comes along, man, I'm too tired to do this. Or Lent comes along and says, I don't really care about following those rules I set up for myself. Or, you know, yeah. or Friday has come up with an excuse, well, you know, hey, that steak looks great. But, you know, but, but they're, but, but it's because of that yeah. Yeah. that we, we need that. And it's a part mm -hmm. of the tradition of the church. The reason for this particular tradition that deals with Holy Week and, and, and all these days is because. Yeah it's what the Holy Spirit has guided the church to recognize this is good for us, mm -hmm. for us to grow. Now, what I thought we'd do, John Mark, is yep. just look at some things. We don't want to take a long time, yeah. but um, just a few things that in my mind address some questions that people might have. And the first one I want to begin with is just to remind people of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, in which... Paul says, so then, brethren, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Yeah. And there we have, not the beginning of, but a continuation of the long understanding that began way back with Adam, all the way through of this idea of a passing on of the way of following God. Right. You read Psalm 119, which is a long song, mm. but it's all about honoring and following and loving and devotion to the Word of God. That's Psalm 119. Yeah. The tradition passed on by word of mouth and by writing. Mm -hmm. Passed on in the continuity of the old to the new, we see Paul recognizing it here, and in a moment I'm going to read some quotes from St. Irenaeus that talk about the passing on of that, and so the importance yeah. of that. To, to this, this has been handed on to us. This is our faith. But in the midst of that, there are scriptures, like, for example, I know that there's other scriptures that say, beware of the traditions of man. And so a lot of Christians say, see, it says there, so we, we have no traditions. We just follow the Bible alone. Well, you know, the... The idea of only the Bible alone is a tradition unto itself. Right. Because it really didn't exist in historic Christianity. It's something that was fairly new in the last 500 years. There was always 
The fact that we believe in the Trinity is a tradition from the earliest days of the church. The fact that we worship on Sunday rather than Saturday is a tradition through the earliest days of the church. Yeah. But two verses I thought it'd be good for us to look at quickly, John Mark, are mm-hmm. verses that many Christians use to say, hey, we don't want to observe any of these religious holidays. And the first comes from Galatians 4. And John Mark, I'm going to read this, and then you, as you hear this, why would you think that this would tell people that, oh, you know, we shouldn't be doing this? Because Paul wrote, formerly, when you did not know God, you were in bondage to beings that by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Yeah, that's an interesting passage. Obviously, you know, as with any of these passages, especially with with an ignorance or an ignorance of the history of the church, again, you can pick somebody else's tradition or practice and, and apply these to it. Of course, it really comes down to, um, you know, what what is of God, what is of the tradition, what is in keeping and in continuity with the apostles. Because yes, certainly, in the history of of the uh, the people of God before Christ as well as after Christ, there are always things out there, practices and and other idols um, that threaten to take our attention. So the question is, you know, how, how do we as a community, as a church? You know, seek to what is seek and test what is true and good, uh, and and hold to those things. This passage actually addresses something very common and important in our work, and that mm-hmm. is when when people come into the Catholic Church from other traditions, yeah. they bring with them, if you will, baggage. Mm-hmm. You know, the way we used to pray, and the way now we pray, the mm-hmm. way we used to sing. And now the way we do sing. Mm-hmm. And some may say, I like the way I used to sing better than the way we sing now, or whatever. And so part of the, the transition is discerning which of what we bring with us mm-hmm. we have to discard, yeah. jettison, and what of what we bring with us is good. Mm-hmm. And a good example of that is in the areas of prayer. Many mm-hmm. non-Catholic Christians, in terms of their celebrations of, of on, on Sunday worship or Sunday evening worship or Wednesday night worship, or whatever, that they emphasize only extemporaneous prayer. Mm-hmm. None of this liturgical stuff. Right. You know, so they emphasize only extemporaneous. And then when they become Catholic, they get the mm-hmm. idea that, oh, no, I've got to get rid of all that. And right. I can only use written prayer. I've yeah. got to use a rosary or I've got to use a, a litany of humility, which is probably mm-hmm. something we should say every day anyway, but still. Yeah. You know, but, but the truth is, yeah. no, that there's a place for spontaneous prayer, of course. Yeah. And there's a place and a place in a beauty for liturgical commun- mm-hmm. community prayer. And that's, you know, that's, again, one of the wonderful things. It's it's a difficult thing to express about Catholicism or the kind of the spirit of Catholic thought and theology. I think no one does it better for me than, than Chesterton in describing the, the both end of Catholicism, the the Catholic aspect of Catholicism, that the universality of Catholicism. You know, in humility, 
Catholicism at its best is by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, passing on, embracing the good that has been given it and that it finds and, you know, uh, correcting and protecting and guarding and passing on. And and so it, it's able to embrace good wherever it's found. I mean, that's why, um, yeah, well, anyway, so that Catholicism is able to do that. And I think, you know, one of the key virtues for Catholic thought is precisely humility. You know, when we talk about the situation that, that you just brought up of the people that we talk with who are coming into the church, on the one hand, there needs to be a humility to recognize that Christ did establish a church and he did promise his Holy Spirit would guide it. And so there needs to be a, a humility to be able to approach that and be willing to say, you know, if there's some things that need to be changed, if I need to, to let the, if the Lord needs to work on my heart on a few things, you know, if I need to accept some new pieces of, of the truth that, that, are, that are new to me, then that's, I need to have the humility to do that. On the other hand, you know, there, there is a, a great humility in Catholicism that always recognizes that there's, there's more to discover about the world, about our faith. There's a, a greater understanding of the doctrine that comes about over time. There's an ability to embrace what is good and, and bring it in. Um, you know, like we have the you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, one of our great saints and theologians and philosophers, you know, he he drew what was best in the philosophy of the time, the writings of the Greeks and, and even of the uh, of some of the Eastern writers. Catholicism is able to do that because Catholicism is all about truth, humbly submitting to truth and thus being open to a greater elaboration of that truth. And so, again, with that humility in, in both directions, you know, that tradition is able to, to build up the best and pass it on. Yeah, and there's an example of Augustine who really liked Plato right. uh, and Aquinas who really liked uh, Aristotle, mm -hmm. and both of them gleaned from those writers, but they didn't take everything. Right. They didn't. They discerned what fits mm -hmm. within the boundaries and makes sense mm -hmm. given our faith. In this particular case, in Galatians, these people had come from a pagan background mm -hmm. with all kinds of ideas, including the pagan holidays. Yeah. There were also Jewish converts that came into the church who had always celebrated the Jewish holidays. Well, now as you come into the church, what do you do with those? And so the church, guided by the Spirit, discerns what makes sense, and what makes sense mainly connected with the life of Christ. Christmas, mm -hmm. Easter, Lent, and Holy Week, and Easter, and Pentecost, and Epiphany. You know, these, or if we have saints' days, why? Because they're connected to Jesus Christ. Those are what made sense. So yeah. a lot of the Jewish holidays, no, we don't celebrate them anymore because they don't fit with Jesus Christ. So the church had a, you know, many times Jewish converts come in and they want to keep all their old Jewish stuff. And that was called in the early church the Judaizers. Mm -hmm. They wanted more. So they wanted to keep all their old stuff, even pressuring yeah. other Christians. Well, you got to celebrate all this old stuff too. And, and yeah. Peter and Paul said, no, no. Yeah. Well, the on, yeah, on the other hand, of course, you know, for Lent and, and Easter, obviously, obviously this is a time when, especially many of the, the Jewish, um, um, you know, for, former Jews who have now become Christians, they bring with their, their background, their, their patrimony, so many beautiful yeah. insights into into the, the liturgy, into the mass, into the seasons, because of how, you know, New Testament Christianity was a fulfillment of what came before it. I mean, that's, I love to, to hear, you know, some of the, the Jewish converts talk about this stuff, because it really does flesh out how, you know, all the best in what has come before it remains in the continuity. Because yeah. too often Christians think everything began at Pentecost. Everything before Pentecost right. doesn't count. Or for many right. Christians, everything before the resurrection doesn't count. And after the resurrection, right. now it's everything. Or No, it's yeah. a continuity. 
because that's where the fulfillment. Right. Well, what I'd like then for us to look at, we've looked at that background. So the point was that just because he Paul was being critical of the Galatians because some of them were holding on to their old pagan holidays, Jewish holidays, no, that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't have days that we celebrate our faith, like yeah. every week, Holy Day, Holy Week, Easter. In the early days of the church, for the first three centuries, uh, history kind of shows us that only Easter and Pentecost w- were the days that um, uh, were strongly celebrated throughout Christianity. And then in the mm-hmm. fourth century, we see Epiphany and Christmas uh, have gained uh, acceptance. And then very soon after that, we have the Feast of the Apostles and the Martyrs. And so we see it developing, to use Newman's Mm -hmm. word, as people living out their faith within the boundaries. Mm -hmm. But I thought it'd be interesting to see just a little bit of an evidence of what we might call development. Mm -hmm. Because in, in Romans 14... Paul's writing to Romans, uh, a church that was established before him. There were already Christians there. He's writing to them, and he makes his comment in Romans 14. He says, one man esteems one day as better than another, while another man esteems all days alike. Let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. He who also eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he who gives thanks to God, while he who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, it seems the context is here. is not the battle with what people are bringing with them. But now that you're in the community and you're within the boundaries, they haven't yet established. I mean, yeah. this is the growing pains of the birth of the, pains, yeah. of the early church, the first right. generation. And things are, are kind of growing. We're seeing in, in Corinth, you know, there's people battling over who baptized you. You know, <laughs> Peter baptized me, you know, and then, you know, yeah. well, so Apollos baptized me. And so you, you have divisions. And it's actually, as Augustine said, sometimes the heresies are the best thing that ever happened to the church because they forced the church okay. to deal with... Uh, Essentials and non-essentials, and, and in it's this funny. example, we see this very thing. <laughs> it's funny to think of the like the analogous, the in, analogy of this in like family life. You know, if you know, I, I've got <laughs> a bunch of little kids now, and you know, one year you happen to do one thing. You know, like something happened, and so that one year we decided to go to this restaurant, and this thing happened, and the next year the you know, and a series of unfortunate events happens. The car breaks down, and we end up going to the park and have a picnic lunch. The next year, the kid's like, can we do that all again? Yeah. Can we go to that restaurant and have that experience, go to the park? Well, <laughs> Things get established, and then it's it's a process of saying, oh, how are we going to celebrate this season? Well, as you know, John Mark, uh, <laughs> not everybody has the same memories as other people, and you have a younger brother, <laughs> youngest brother, who we did something once years ago in his comment as we always used to we do it this week. We always <laughs> did it. Well, you know, so imagine Paul trying to, in the early Peter and the other bishops, they're trying to get people together. Yeah. And that was the idea. And so in this case, he's saying what's most important at this stage in, in the journey of the church is let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind but most importantly, you're doing it in honor of the Lord. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. That's Whether the it's point. Feast, 
or a fast, you know, whether it's a whether it's the uh, extraordinary time of the church and Christmas and Easter, or whether it's ordinary time. That all of it, still the the point of all of it, the point of all the devotions, is is um is Christ. You know, I think I think it was um, Lewis, maybe in Screwtape Letters, and I have to reverse it because it's Uncle Screwtape talking. You know, the, the, in that book. The demon. But, yeah, but being you know, well, I get to reverse it and put it in our context. You know, we need to avoid all extremes except extreme devotion to Christ. In the context of our extreme devotion to Christ, the rest of these things are able to find their proper and appropriate and charitable place. If we were to progress now farther, so you have that, the early community trying to figure it out and live together in charity. Yeah. Okay. And in many ways, one might presume that, well, maybe our Lord, when he met with the apostles after his resurrection, he didn't give them, a, a, you know, a liturgical schedule. Yeah. That this was something that he promised that the Holy Spirit would guide. In fact, I'm going to draw our attention to there because many traditional scholars have proposed that when John wrote his gospel, which would have been after Romans, mm-hmm. and many very likely after Paul and Peter have already been martyred. Mm. It's later on. Mm. And after the other three Gospels have been distributed, then when John wrote his Gospel, later on, this the liturgical uh, celebration, particularly mm. of Pascha, mm. the, the week, the Paschal week, mm-hmm. has already been developing in the church in the sense that we see it fleshed out in the very Gospel structure. Mm-hmm. And we won't have time to go through all the details, but if you look at John, John chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, and that's where Mary anoints the feet of Jesus in Bethany. Six right. days before the past- Passover, what mm-hmm. day is that? That's Saturday. Mm-hmm. All right. And then in John 12, 12, it says, The next day, a great crowd who had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. That's Palm Sunday. Mm. So we have that great entry into Jerusalem. And then actually we see a lot of discussion about its meaning and his last discourse, causes of unbelief. And that takes you through the, the end of chapter 12. And then it reaches to a climax uh, um, to chapter 13, where mm-hmm. it begins now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Mm-hmm. This is Thursday evening. And from chapter 13, you have the washing of the feet, you have uh, the whole Lord's Supper, you, which John doesn't really go into detail as the other Gospels all do, but you have Judas's, um, the the, the uh, the prediction of the betrayal, but you also have John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 18, all those wonderful mm-hmm. teachings of the vine and the branches and the great yeah. priestly prayer and all of that is presumed to have happened that evening when he's gathering, preparing his apostles for what's going to happen after the resurrection. And then in eight part of 18, we have and that has also, of course, the, the, the betrayal and everything in Thursday night. And then 
John 18, you have Friday. And it says in John 18, 18, No, uh, 1828, uh, 1828, excuse me, 1828. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the Praetorium. It was early. So in other words, now we're early Friday morning. Mm -hmm. And we have the beginning of what we now in tradition called Good Friday. That Mm -hmm. whole day of the trial, the scourging, the, uh, you know, being tied to the pillar, the crowning of thorns, the crucifixion and the death and the burial. That's all through chapter 19. And then on John 20, we jump, and now it says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. So all of Holy Week becomes Mm -hmm. the structure for the very gospel and the presentation. And if you will, Mm -hmm. if they're already starting to reflect on these in their days, this Mm -hmm. is the texts, if you will. Yeah. For what they can reflect on during those days. Yeah, yeah. What an amazing way to, to live out scripture, you know. Um, I mean, in, in some sense, again, in a, in a small, more subtle way, we we want to relive this every week, you know. And, and Catholicism has that tradition, you know. Friday we pray the sorrowful mysteries, you know. Uh, if, we're pray, if we're praying the Rosary, we pray the sorrowful mysteries of the Rosary, which are precisely the the moments of scripture uh, concerning Christ's passion. And then on every Sunday is to be a small Easter. But then, of course, in in the official Easter season of the church, that's where we really, you know, in Holy Week, we dig very deeply back into these scriptures and relive. You know, we walk through the scripture uh, to really relive um, this key pivotal moment in the history of Christianity. This this founding, this this um, you know, this this yeah, Christ's death and resurrection. I mean, that's that's what it all it's all about. And so coming together. You know, in the, in Lent and then Holy Week to really relive that and re resensitize ourselves to the reality and the power of of that is just an amazing thing. So let's say if John is is written, the Gospel of John is written um, sometime in the later half of the first century. If we jump ahead to the early second century, we find Saint Ignatius who was a bishop uh, in Antioch, and he's been captured and he's being transported to Rome where he'll be martyred. And on this journey, he writes seven letters to seven churches. Mm -hmm. And in one of those letters to the Philippians, he writes, do not lightly esteem the festivals, despise not the period of 40 days for it comprises an, an imitation of the conduct of the Lord. After the week of the Passion, do not neglect to fast on the fourth and sixth days, distributing at the same time of thine abundance to the poor. If anyone fasts on the Lord's day or on the Sabbath, except on the Paschal Sabbath only, he is a murderer of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, here we have an early leader of the church, you know, establishing traditions, working as he, in this case, he's traveling all the way to Rome and he's writing letters to other churches. Mm -hmm. But you see evidence of Lent already, the 40 Mm -hmm. days. And um, the the word passion, the week of the passion, um, the calling for recognizing the holy day as a feast day, 
Right. We still have that tradition. We celebrate yeah. the 40 days of fasting, but when Sunday comes, you don't fast. Right. And it, it's so funny here because it's you know, obviously it's it's strong sort of jarring language that uh, say Ignatius is using, you know. But it, it's I love how the emphasis here is not just on you, darn it, you better fast when it's time to fast, but also it, when it's time to feast, you feast, because these <laughs> things are meaningful. You know, when we come together as a community, especially for, you know, the big important, um, you know, commemorations like Easter, you know, our the forms that those that that reverence takes that those worship takes that's important and when we come together as a community at when the church with the guidance of the holy spirit establishes that you know sunday is to be our day of worship and and it's now an obligation that we that we go and attend mass this this summit of our faith with the, with the holy eucharist it's important that we we submit to that we obey that you know, because that's how our community, that's how the church shows its worship, shows its reverence. You know, it's not putting on these, the feasts and fasts of the church, even, you know, some of these liturgical aspects, the, the movements, the, the smells and bells, that those are acts of obedience to Christ in his body, the church. You know, like, uh, I, I think Dr. Peter Kreft in one of his talks talked about how sometimes we think we see someone doing the things, the externals, and say, oh, they're just making a fuss over things. They're just drawing attention to themselves. Doing those things is an act of obedience. This is how the church shows its worship of Christ. You know, if, if a young man gets down in front of the woman he wants to marry or, or neglects to do that, if he says, you know, well, you know, I, I'd like you to marry me, but I, I didn't bother getting a ring. I'm not going to kneel. I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. Is he really serious about his love? This is how the community shows seriousness shows reverence and so i, I love the, the emphasis here both on you know the fasting is this is this great bodily way that we prepare ourselves and we show our reverence we show our worship but then also by by celebrating the good using the good of food and drink and of celebration to celebrate things that it's both both ends you have to have the feasts and the fasts the one thing that i've come to appreciate, even when I have struggles with, especially what's going on in, in the church and our culture today, but what I appreciate is Catholic and, and Eastern Orthodox strongly recognize that the church is a mystery. Mm. It isn't just the visible, nor is it just the invisible. And often Christians get caught up in the either or. Right. Yeah, what is the true church? Well, the true church consists of the, the true believers only, and only God knows who they are. Well, that's yeah. Calvin and Luther. And that's a caricature of Calvin and Luther because they were, right. especially Luther wasn't. More nuanced, yeah. Yeah, sure. it was a little more nuanced. But the point is, yeah. you know, where some can look at, no, it's, it's the physical. Mm -hmm. This is the church. Right. The buildings and the, and the ecclesiology and the stuff. And, and the church has recognized it's a both hand. It's a mystery of that. And it's such a mystery that when we kneel in mass before our, our Lord in the sacrament, we are not only united with the people in that room, mm -hmm. but we are united with the church triumphant yeah. in heaven, the angels. We believe that to be true, but not just now, mm -hmm. but forever. 
Right. So when we celebrate Holy Week in a, in a unique, mysterious way, we're celebrating with Christians that have lived at all times. Right. Even we just read this letter from Ignatius, with him too. Yeah. And so we're carrying on traditions that our brothers and sisters have done all around the world in all different cultures and all different languages and all different ways, all in the same thing that, that Paul said, in honor of the Lord. Yeah. That's what it's about, giving thanks to God. And you maybe just to bring it to a close, John Mark, I'm going to read yeah. one quote from Irenaeus. Sure. Irenaeus now writes in the, towards the end of the second century, and this particular quote from his book Against Heresies, which I mm. believe is one of the, the most important books of the early days of the church. Um, many think that. I mean, yeah. but the point is, yeah. he, um, he writes: Suppose there arise a dispute relative to some important question among us. And what he's saying, what if we don't agree on something? Mm. Christians, what about this Holy Week? What about yeah. Holy Thursday or Friday, venerating the mm. cross? Mm. <clears throat> what are we doing Saturday, Sunday? You know, celebration of the red, the red sun, you know, they, What if we don't agree? And he says, <clears throat> should we not have recourse to the most ancient churches with which the apostles held constant intercourse and learn from them what is certain and clear in regard to the present question. And so what he's pointing at is the early days of the church, the way you determine and much opinions, you say, well, where does this come from? Yeah. Who taught you that? Yeah. Who taught you that? And who taught you that? And where did it go? Where, where's your, yeah. your, and that was the foundation for what we came to be known as apostolic succession. Yeah. Bill learned it from Fred, learned it from Steve, mm -hmm. learned it from Sue, learned it from Joe, who learned it from Polycarp, who learned it yeah. from John, who learned it from Jesus. Right. That's the apostolic succession. Mm -hmm. And so he recognized these things. Some of them, he says, and this is where the, the important quote, for how should it be if the mm -hmm. apostles themselves had not left us writings? Mm -hmm. Would it not be necessary in that case to follow the course of the tradition which they handed down to those to whom they did commit the churches. Mm. And so there we see the both and yeah. of how we've received the teaching from Christ through his apostles yeah. passed down to the church. And some of that developed under the leading of the Holy Spirit, as John, as Jesus promised in John 14, 15, 16, which guided the course of this tradition. So we learned over time an appropriate way for us to give honor to our Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all about you know that that continuity with, and again that which comes back to the that the important virtue of humility, in that we're always in in humility. We want to start by learning and submitting to sitting at the feet of those fathers and mothers who've come before us in the church you know we we submit first to that tradition you know what chesterton points out you know you the the modern mind always wants to throw away something before it even understands what it's for you know the modern person walks through a field and finds a wall doesn't know why the wall is there and wants to tear the wall down no, but before you tweak something you have to understand why it was there and so even though the church yes has to apply 
the teaching and the tradition to new situations in the church, we always start by by submitting humbly and learning what came before and making sure that we're proceeding only in continuity with the teaching authority of the apostles and their successors as they received uh, revelation from Christ. All right. Thanks, John Mark. And thank you all for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. I pray that it's an encouragement to you. But our, our specific prayer is that as you complete Holy Week, Thursday night, Friday, the, the silence, if you will, of Saturday, yeah. and the joyous celebration of Easter Sunday. Our prayers are with you, and we desire that indeed God will bless you and your family in the year ahead. Thank you. See you next week on an episode of Deep in Scripture. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.